Ladies and gentlemen, we are now seeing the beginnings of another stage of human evolution. In every human being, there's not many people that will understand people like us. There exists the genetic code. You'll be safe here. What kind of place is this? You're not the only one with gifts. For mutation. The truth is, mutants are very real. And they are among us. You must know who they are, and above all, what they can do. A change is coming. Are you a God-fearing man, Senator? believes that a war is brewing between mutants and the rest of humanity. We'll be all that can save us. If no one is equipped to oppose them, humanity's days could be over. You're a mutant. The whole world out there is full of people that hate and fear you, and you're wasting your time trying to protect them? You sure you're on the right side? I have made the first move. That is all I know. He can wipe out everyone in New York City. Logan, help us. Fight with us. that music means you've reached the season finale and sort of series wrap up on the pop culture historians 90s superhero review uh welcome to pop culture historians my name is ryan ritter that's jimmy mcshane we make up the pop culture historians jimmy how are you this week i'm doing pretty well how are you i can't complain that's good. I can't complain. No, <laughs> uh, I, I really can't. Doing well. Doing well. Uh, we've reached the uh, we've reached the two thousands, Jimmy. Um, it's a, it's kind of a monumental event. Uh, this and, is our yeah yeah. We're kind of kickstarting into like uh, the second wave of superhero movies. I would say. Yeah, I kind of struggled when I was putting the uh, season here together. Like, obviously, we've been doing superhero movies in the nineties this entire year. I think. I think it's that's been our superhero game for 2023 yep and i struggled with does x X x-men really kick off the next season because it is 2000s it is sort of like this this is like the the one of the one-two punch of x-men and spider-man that kind of kicked off this second wave that kind of brought us into the third wave that might be turning into a fourth wave now i guess we'll see what happens with james gunn's like dcu we'll see what marvel kind of pulls out of their hat here in the coming years but I think I landed on, I think this makes for a better finale episode than Mystery Men. As fun as Mystery Men was, and we had a good conversation about that, this just feels like a good place to stop for now. Um, Mystery Men's a little too forgotten to be the finale. It just felt underwhelming. And I do have yeah. some ideas for how to open up um, 
our 2000 series. Um, so I'm more on that in the months to come. But for now, I think X-Men feels like the logical breaking point. It does feel like this is, <laughs> it's interesting. Uh, I, should, I should just set this up real quick. Well, let's set up X-Men, 2000s X-Men. We are the future, Charles, not them. They no longer matter. Obviously directed by Brian Singer. Uh, starring a whole bunch of people, but primarily Patrick Stewart, Hugh Jackman, Ian McKellen, Anna Paquin. The list goes on. We'll talk about everybody. It's <laughs> that we have time to talk about because there's a lot. <laughs> Everyone is like someone. Well, and uh, what's impressive is, right, but what's impressive is here we're at the early part of their career. Like they, they caught some stars before they became stars here. Not in every case, but in many cases, you know, um, no, almost, almost exclusively. I was thinking about this when we were watching it last night. Uh, Patrick Stewart might be the only person who was like, Patrick Stewart was like the get here, right? I mean, Ian yeah. McKellen, like Lord of the Rings was right. I think he's about, he's entering like his peak. Ian, Ian McKellen had like an established career, but he wasn't like a household name. He was just like, if you were super into movies, you probably knew who Ian McKellen was. But like, yeah, you know, he was he's, not, he's kind of he was a not that guy. Yeah, he was not an unknown like Hugh Jackman was, but uh, yeah, I think his most famous six or seven movies are, are we're entering that period where they all kind of come out. It's kind of an incredible run. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, you're right. It's kind of besides that, you know, Halle Berry had was kind of on the upward trajectory. I think she had done a couple things before this. Yeah, um, I mean, there's like. <laughs> The Operation Swordfish or whatever might have been this year. I think uh, Monsters Ball, we won the Oscar, is uh, around the corner, but it hadn't happened right. yet. And I think that's kind of what yet. solidified her, you know, her legendary status. James you know, Anna Marsden, Paquin. Anna Paquin. Anna Paquin, I believe, had an Academy Award prior to this, but as like a kid actor, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, yeah, I, I, you are, you are, you are yeah. correct, sir. As but this is, this is a more adult role for her, I'd say. So, yeah. you know, even in she, she would probably be the second biggest name after Patrick Stewart in this. Mm-hmm. Of course, Patrick Stewart was famous for being Star Trek at this point. So oh, not yeah. exactly like, not talking about Tom Cruise here, but you know, still a, a pretty recognizable actor and, um, and, and a big get for them for this movie. Yeah, a humongous get and kind of pitch perfect casting. We'll talk about um, the quality of the casting. I actually think it's created a problem for the franchise going forward, <laughs> but um. We'll get to that. Yeah, I think it's kind of interesting. Uh, just to kind of put a button on this being part of the 90s series. This does still kind of feel like a 90s movie, sort of. Both in terms of, like, kind of a limited scope and uh, filmmaking techniques and use of special effects. This They haven't quite entered the 2000s. I sort of suspect Spider-Man might be, like, the first real, like, 2000s movie. And it's also 2000s is kind of a weird decade anyway. I don't know if everything that came out in the 2000s and like our formative years were like, was like all that great but <laughs> this this does kind of feel like this could, if this had come out in 1998 i don't think i would have questioned it i would have been yeah like, this, this was about what it would feel like i think i agree although yeah. uh i think if you compare the graphics in this movie to the graphics and say spawn it's night and day oh my god yeah yes and i don't yes. know if that's a just graphics improve that much over the course of a couple of years or that's just a stunning indictment on the graphics and spawn I'm, I'm genuinely not sure i think it's just i think it's a result of this production team kind of knowing what they can and can't do spawn was just overly ambitious they wanted it's like 
they wanted to be able to like depict hell and like Malbolgia. Is that is that is that the clown? I don't want the clown. I want the uh, I don't the remember devil, the Satan character. We watched that movie um, a couple months ago, and the names are starting to be fuzzy. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It's like the Satan character, basically, it's mm-hmm. Satan. They wanted to, they wanted to depict all this stuff and like they they didn't compromise on the scope so they had to compromise on what it was actually going to look like because they couldn't do it here I feel like they use their special effects sparingly a couple healing effects I'm I'm sure they goose some gra- I mean obviously the yeah. best CGI is the one you don't notice right so right. there's probably some goosed up shots here that are just good enough that you don't notice it but the the big one is probably. You know the the uh, white goo uh, expanding from the, oh. <laughs> from the machine, you know, or whatever it's called. I don't even know, like electricity or something. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The plasma. I don't know what that's supposed to be, but so it, it turns Bruce Davison into like a water, like a jellyfish, basically. <laughs> yeah, I've I've always been confused exactly what his mutation was. Um. Yeah, and like was he supposed to be a, a jellyfish? Because, like, like, when you walk on the beach, they do show, like, a kid poking a jellyfish. I think so. But I'm not, yeah, I've never actually been certain, like, you know, maybe he's just supposed to be kind of, like, aquatic in some way. Like, maybe not, you know, I don't know. And of course, like, part of it was, like, the mutation didn't take and he turned into water. But, like, um... Yeah, is that, so, yeah, they ask you this, and then we'll, um, we'll crack open uh, Lenny's review corner for the last time uh, for a while. Because... Um, my wife was confused and I thought the movie was going to explain it and maybe they did and it was just too subtle. They, was it a mutation I didn't take or did, uh, my, like, was Magneto like just like not, didn't have enough energy to like fully complete the mutation for, um, the Senator or did he intentionally turn into like a mutant so it was, was going to like self-destruct? It was, it was not intentional. And Magneto okay. wasn't trying to kill those people. He was trying to turn every world leader into a mutant that they would pass favorable mutant legislation. That makes sense. Uh, so now why it failed, the movie doesn't say. And I think because the characters don't know why it failed. It's possible it failed because Magneto wasn't powerful enough. I never considered that. I think uh, it just failed because it was a flawed process. You know, trying to change someone's DNA. Um, oh. But... Uh, the movie doesn't actually clarify why it failed. Fair enough. Okay, that makes me feel better. That was the part where I was like, she asked, like, is that going to get explained? And I'm like, I don't remember, but I don't think so. And by the time it was done, I sort of felt like it hadn't, so I wanted to make sure I didn't miss anything. Another thing we don't want to miss, uh, a final appearance for 2023 from our uh, resident film critic, Leonard Malton. It's time That's for true. Leonard Malton's movie review corner. For people just jumping in, and it's possible. Uh, I think for the big movies, I think there's a better chance of. Although I don't know, stuff like Condor Man has gotten more clicks than stuff like <laughs> Spawn. So I guess you never know. But I suspect there'll be more people jumping in on this one than your average episode. So what we do here, I have uh, a hard copy that's now split in half of Leonard Malton's 2010 <laughs> movie guide. You love it too much, you know. Yes, it's, 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 it happens. Uh, we're gonna flip to his capsule review. Which also kind of serves as a synopsis. Something that we're not always adept at, so we're going to leave it to the experts. We're also going to try to predict his star rating. For those who are not familiar with Leonard Malton's star rating system, it's a uh, 
the one to four scale with half star intervals and one star is known as bomb. Something I've always thought confusing because bomb feels like zero stars to me, but it's not. I agree. And half a star feels like it would be appropriate. So I agree. <laughs> one, one being the lowest and calling it bomb is, is um, an odd choice. So with that in mind, Jimmy, what do you think Leonard Malton might have given X-Men 2000? I think Lenny liked this one. Um, I think he gave it three stars. <sighs> That's what I was going to do. So just you gotta let you guess first sometimes. Right? Oh, I, <laughs> I'm always... I forget. Um, I'll go two and a half. That was my other one I was kind of thinking about. Yeah, I don't think he would have given three and a half. I think. No, yeah. I doubt that. But I don't think he hated it. I think he kind of liked this. He might go like too short or so. I don't know. We'll see. Three stars. Look at that. Three stars. Marvel Comics-inspired saga has two disparate misfits, Wolverine, Hugh Jackman, and Rogue, Anna Paquin, linking up and finding a safe haven with Professor X, Patrick Stewart, who hopes to find ways to assimilate all mutants into human society. His brainy counterpart, Magneto, Ian McKellen, however, sees humans as the enemy to be conquered. Long on razzle-dazzle, fun to watch, though some of the energy is sapped away by the climax. Based on characters created for Marvel Comics by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, followed by three sequels, just to show the age of uh, when this came out. <laughs> yeah, wow. Yeah. Um, more like 300 <laughs> sequels by now. But... A lot more, for sure. That's, that's yeah. interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was Leonard Malton's thoughts. What are our thoughts? You know, in the spirit of letting me go first, um, while, I, while I take the reins here on general thoughts. Go for it. Uh, I was stunned at how well this held up. This is a movie I was kind of worried about for a while because, you know, I should, I, I should back up a little bit. I didn't see this in theaters. I think I first saw this as like a summer school, like stay over at the school. I didn't really go to like summer school where like you went to class to kind of make up. It's kind of um, like a summer camp at school. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Here on the West Coast, um, the summer camp isn't really a thing like it is on the East Coast, especially like in the 70s, 80s. But for like, you know, in the 2000s, you could just kind of like be dropped off at school for the summer and like you would just kind of like be entertained and they take you places. And there was one night where they just kind of let us like sleep over at the school. Like they just kind of kept open like the main rec room area. They pulled out a TV. People could bring DVDs. And uh, this is one of the DVDs. I think that's the first time I ever saw this. And uh, I've rewatched it a few times. It's actually one of the only X-Men movies I've ever like gone back to rewatch for whatever reason. Um, but it's an interesting series. Obviously, some are better than others. But this is one I've always kind of come back to. I'm not sure exactly what the draw is. I think it's just, it, it's the last, it's one of the last superhero movies of its kind where there's a lot of reasons why the scope of this is a little smaller than they will be. Because this is like, basically like 90 minutes uh, if you <laughs> cut... Credits and stuff. It's like it's like 95, 96 minutes. I'm surprised. I didn't realize this movie. Not that 90 minutes. I, I think 90 minutes is a short movie these days. So I was surprised it was as short as it was. I agree. 90 minutes is short, uh, for especially for today's standards. Because, you know, it's like the next one is like two hours and 15 minutes. And that's kind of where superhero movies have landed uh, nowadays. Some of them earn, some of them not. I think there was just this idea of can we make this on a limited budget. And part of that is like the superhero movie genre was still kind of um, sounding a little bit like Batman Robin with like this high profile, high budget disaster. So I think they're like, can we make this for 80 million? 
and kind of keep it limited and focus on characters and all that stuff. And um, so it, even though it's kind of light on like big operatic plot, like you're kind of used to for um, superhero movies nowadays, especially like when we get into the 2000s, like it's going to be focused on spectacle and like getting like these classic stories from the comics here. It's just like, they kind of focus on five or six X-Men and kind of just follow like their interactions and, uh, really kind of sincerely go for some pretty big, heavy subjects that could have felt like pandering or lip service, but I think they put the good use here um, for the most part. And I think it holds up because of that. Yeah, the special effects, the, the, the kind of one or two big special effects sequences look kind of bad because it's just the age of time. And they leave a lot of stuff uh, off the, on the table, I guess. They leave a lot of stuff on the table uh to be kind of followed up with in bigger sequels that are also very good some of them but i think there's just something kind of unique about this um it almost feels like an episode zero of like a big long form x-men series and i'll always kind of admire it for that uh and i was just surprised that it held up i was worried that maybe it wouldn't or it would kind of like show its age now and um i had a really good time uh, a much better time than i was uh, anticipating how about you yeah, I mean, obviously, I loved this movie as a kid. Haven't watched it in a while. Um, still, you know, but I, I don't know. I was, I was confident I would like it, and I still did. You know, it's, it's just a well-done movie. Like you said, there's stuff left on the table, right? I mean, they, uh, they tell a simple story, and they kind of use... I agree. It does feel like an episode zero. Like, here's your you're introduced into a world of mutants. And I think um, sometimes keeping it simple is the right choice. You know, you, you can't always tell the big stories right off the bat. And so they told a simple story, you know, uh, and you had the, um, you know, metaphor for mutants being marginalized people. And you have, you know, kind of an introduction to the characters, kind of get a sense for who they are. And Wolverine and Rogue have a good story arc here. And Magneto has a good story arc. And not everyone gets one. You know, Cyclops is a bit of a stagnant character in this movie. And, mm-hmm. and that's okay. Uh, but it also helps that the, the, you know, the characters are varied with lots of different personality. And so it, it works. And it leaves you wanting more, which makes sense because you want to build a whole franchise out of it. Yeah, agreed. Uh, yeah, I mean, we can, I, guess, I guess we can jump right into like kind of the big thing that makes it unique in the kind of the keeping of the main metaphor of X-Men comics. I don't know if that like the through line of like X-Men, the mutants are uh, replacements for or like stand-ins for marginalized people was... I don't know the uh, X-Men comics history as much, but it's kind of my understanding that like it was okay. It kind of, it was moderately successful in the sixties kind of fizzled out, kind of came back in the seventies and then Chris Claremont showed up in the eighties. And that's kind of when it went on this big run where it became like the most famous comic book team of all time. Right. uh, Claremont came back in the seventies and he's, when they relaunched in the seventies, it was Claremont. And got it. It was pretty immediately successful. Now that he keeps writing throughout the 80s, second half of the 70s, it, like, it kind of like built in popularity. Um, 
but so like by the time like 1980 rolled around, it was a very popular comic book, and it just kind of kept going from there in the in the 80s for for a really good run of time with Claremont, and uh, I think Jeff Byrne is his name. I can't the name of the artist. Um, but yeah, and so and of course in the in the comics, you know when Stan Lee created the X Men, uh, Magneto was supposed to be Malcolm X and. Professor X was supposed to be Martin Luther King Jr., right? Like, I was like, that was the idea. That's confusing. So Stan- you think Professor X would be Malcolm X? X is right in his name. That's- <laughs> <laughs> Rare L for Stan Lee. Yeah. No. <laughs> uh, I, I will say Stan Lee did very little with that metaphor in the 60s. It was sure. just kind of like the, the idea, you know, dynamic he had in mind when he made these characters and then kind of wrote a generic comic book based around that. Um, Got it. Which is part of the reason why I think X-Men wasn't super popular in the, in the 60s. I was think, I think Stanley didn't want like a bunch of mutants. You know what I mean? I think he was just happy with a couple that he had, which really limited the series because part of the right. fun with mutants is there's so many and there's so many different powers you can have and explore with it. Uh, yeah, you which, would think that would be like the main thing. And I think I read somewhere that like part of the reason he went the mutant route is because he was kind of tired of writing like how characters got their powers. So he's just like, I'm yeah. going to create characters that just already have powers. Pretty much. Right. And so, yeah, it was, I mean, something so I was, got I, about I Stan Lee in the 60s was like, he was writing everything for Marvel. So like, he had to come up with an idea. And he's like, okay, I'll just have like a bunch of superpower kids. Uh, how did they get their origin? Uh, nuclear bombs mutated them as babies okay <laughs> boom go uh yeah and so he wasn't he wasn't looking at this huge like mutant thing but by the time 70s comes around like the marvel comics is a much bigger enterprise with more people writing for it than it was in the 60s and so you could afford like take the original x-men team and put beast on the avengers and have angel and Iceman go somewhere else and then make a new x-men team and of course the new x-men team had like a lot of really famous, like Nightcrawler, Wolverine, Storm, Colossus, and so you know that 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 you know those characters and that new X Men team and that kind of like drama, like the Dark Phoenix stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it just really really took off. People really loved it. And I've read the '70s part of it, and it's really good. I mean. If you want to just sit down and read like the Chris Claremont X Men, you'd be in, a, in for a great time. I've uh, always wanted to, um, just because it's like it's kind of like this like esteemed run, right? Like probably like yeah. one of the top five most popular American superhero comic runs out there. So I've always been curious, especially, yeah, that, so, especially that initial Dark Phoenix saga, which is supposed to be like great. It is, and I've read that, and it is great. Um, and you know, like something you can do if you if you want to like like for instance like chris Claremont also wrote iron fist and mm. so he had like the x-men and an issue of iron fist and they got in a fight you know what i mean like oh, uh great. so if you want to read everything you can always go to that website we've been to that um travis least... Starnes website and you can yeah. just like redo all the x-men appearances you know what i mean or something like that like you should uh, plug that site real do. quick it's a it's the Complete Marvel Reading Order. Uh, the website's called Complete Marvel Reading Order, and it can be found at cmro.travis-starns.com, S-T-A-R-N-E-S. It's a very uh, ambitious website, but run impeccably. Um, and he just yeah. kind of sorts everything in uh, all kinds of different chronological orders you can imagine. Yeah, he, has, he basically has it to where you could read every Marvel comic ever if you wanted to. 
Fields has where you can customize it so you could just like get an order that was just X-Men or just Spider-Man or just X-Men and Spider-Man or just like the main stuff like you know there's there's an like a subset of the order where it's just like the big stuff that most people might care about but not like you know the side stuff like Tomb of Dracula isn't you know would right. part of that and right. so uh yeah it's, it's a very good website and when i did read comics when i was younger that's what i used to get through and like i said i got through like i'm like in the mid 70s i read a little bit ahead with the x-men because i was so excited for it but i'm like i'm like the mid 70s and i just stalled but i mean it uh, is like a massive it's a massive true. undertaking although in a few years your kids might start getting into it and then you can true. Uh, you can pick it back up with them too. And daddy i don't want to read it shut up and join <laughs> to a dracula episode four <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's great um yeah it's a great site everyone should go to it uh yeah, because like star wars and stuff too it's not just marvel comics he has it's like star well, trek and like star he's wars he's made a bunch of them he's made yeah. a, he's he's working on a dc one he's made a doctor who one he's made oh, a man. uh buffy the vampire slayer one. Oh my he's, god he's made a law and order one <laughs> that's the one he's, i want <laughs> he's 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 done a marvel cinematic universe one he's done like you said he's done a star wars one in fact star wars one he even has he's done two right with like mm-hmm. the original star wars canon mm-hmm. and the new disney star wars canon yeah uh, yes yeah that's yeah that's, so, that's completely correct yeah he's uh, he's quite pro- prolific with his his customizable list. Yeah, I'm always I always admire people who just find this kind of like I mean this in a lovable way, like a lunatic activity, and then just go all in on it and like perfect <laughs> it. It's it's great. I think it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, um, it is. It is great. Uh, you know, you mentioned like MCU, and the thought occurred to me to, to there is a semi-strong argument to be made that this is kind of the first mcu movie in a way now that the multiverse is on and you know uh, daredevil not daredevil deadpool 3 is coming out they you know it's gonna be hanging out with wolverine and stuff that's true that's true this this has retroactively become part of the mcu most likely it hasn't yet i will say i we got we got to wait for deadpool to actually come out before we can actually say it's part of the mcu I hear rumors. I haven't seen it yet, but I hear rumors that the Marvels might be uh, moving towards something. The, the new, the new, uh, the new oh, Captain okay. Marvel movie. I haven't seen it yet either. Okay. I haven't seen it yet either. Uh, I don't know how true it is. Um, so I guess if it's true, or think, not, if people have seen it out there and screaming, yes, yes, they do, or no, they don't. Just we haven't seen the, it yet, so shut up. The, the movie will have been out a month by the time this comes out. So. Oh yeah, it'll, it'll probably be on Disney Plus by the time this comes out. <laughs> So we'll let you know then. We'll we'll update this. Jumping in from the future to confirm that yes, indeed, the Marvels movie from 2023 has brought in the Fox X Men. Still haven't seen it. Don't yell at me. Life is busy. But yes, that is confirmed. I want you to know that we know. <laughs> All right, back to the past. But yeah, that's a good point. I didn't think about this. This is arguably the. Chronologically speaking, the first MCU Marvel movie, unless they find a way to include like that the Fantastic Four movie or Captain America movie mm-hmm. or Nick Fury mm-hmm. movie we didn't cover. Right, not, 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 not in our purview. That feels uh, like something Ryan Reynolds would very intentionally try to include if he could. 
like a it's kind of like an ironic version of uh one of the last sequences in the flash where they bring back have you seen this do you mind? i've not seen the flash but okay. i know they bring back like everybody or something like that it's deep cuts there's some people that i thought only we knew about from reviewing all these crazy <laughs> 80s movies but uh yeah I, i'd like, like an ironic ryan reynolds version of that for marvel that'd be great um, yeah yeah, I mean, I guess you'd argue all Marvel movies are now part of like the multiverse, right? Like Blade is technically part of the multiverse. It's not established, but you can make that true. assumption. I'm but... sorry, yeah, I forgot Blade would technically have came before this. But uh, yeah. strictly speaking, in terms of characters being used, I think this is probably the beginning of uh, the MCU. I don't know. If that's well, I was gonna say that. I don't know if this is where you should start. I don't know. Maybe you yeah, should start. Uh, it's a good movie, but I don't, I don't know if it, I don't know if it matters. Uh, you know. No. Um, there's still many, yeah. And I, yeah, it's just, it's, um, it's unwieldy. It's unwieldy. Uh, we're going to have some discussions when we, when we get to later X-Men movies about, like, how you would even go back and watch them if you weren't to do them, like, in order they were released. Uh, oh, my God. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. A, that's a really good point. Because, yeah, this is such a... <laughs> I'm excited that we're here. I really am. <laughs> because the X-Men series, more than any series i can think of in the last 25 years or so has like this just this, this intense variety and quality and mm-hmm. you never know i was describing this to my wife she hadn't seen any of them that's not true we watched x-men apocalypse on a plane that was the oh. only <laughs> i've not actually seen that one yet <laughs> I, I wanted to see it because i like days of futures past and i liked x-men first class yeah great movie and uh then i heard it was terrible and i just never found the uh the desire to go back and watch it you are correct sir <laughs> um uh yeah i mean you never quite know like it's not like it's not like the star trek movies where i don't know how much i agree with this but it's like the odd movie the odd number of movies are bad and the even number of movies are good it's not even that clean it'd be like it was getting, it's like, also not really a true statement but we're not yeah. gonna go into it but it's not a star trek episode. yeah i don't agree with it either but um that's just the kind of like, common rule of thumb X-Men doesn't even have that because it'll be like, oh, you'll get like two pretty good movies in a row then like three awful ones and then like a great one and then like two awful ones. Like it just, you never know when the quality is going to tank or when it's going to um, go up and you can't even go like, oh, they brought back this director. That means it's going to be good. Not necessarily. <laughs> and, oh, they brought back this actor. That means it'll be, nope. nope. means nothing. <laughs> it means absolutely nothing. But so far... In this opening salvo, it sounds like we're both kind of a yes. We both agree this is good. They're one for one right now. Yeah. And, you know, I, I will say, because we are talking a lot about other action movies while well, this one, this movie really does promise a... Uh, they could have made a great X-Men franchise using this as the foundation. Absolutely. And then they screwed it up with X-Men 3. But nonetheless, like, this really does, like set a great foundation for a I think a really cool franchise if they had made some smarter decisions down the line and even I think X-Men 2 uh, does a good job building off of it I agree and it has, it's been like 20 years since I've seen X2 I remember loving it but I was also like 16 so maybe maybe that'll change but um, yeah X2 kind of felt like oh man they're nailing it and then X3 uh, did not. <laughs> but we'll go to, we will get to that soon. Um, should, we, should we talk a little bit uh, about the production history? Because there's a lot to cover. There's a lot to cover. I don't want yeah, to like overwhelm the episode, but um, there's just, I mean, there's just so many little like 
different directions it's could have gone. Uh, we'll back up a little, we'll back up a lot bit. Um, the development history goes all the way back to 1984. Wow. Okay. Or, yeah. Orion Pictures had the rights to the property. Mm-hmm. Um, they started facing financial difficulties, and the project kind of fizzled out. Carol Co. picked it up, and they were in negotiations with Stan Lee and Chris Claremont to do a movie. This version would have had James Cameron producing and Catherine Bigelow directing, which would have been interesting. That would have been interesting. Uh, it's easy to see that being a very good movie. Yeah, and check this out. They're thinking Bob Hoskins from Wolverine. <laughs> That's nuts. I can't yeah. imagine that. Uh, that's hard to picture. And this is before he did Mario, right? Like, so this is like... I don't know when he did Mario, but it was around the same time. Yeah. Uh, Angela Bassett as Storm. That would have been great. Yeah, I think this would have been a good... I think I would have liked to see this version of it. This would have been really interesting. Uh, It all kind of fell apart because Stan Lee kind of got James Cameron interested in doing a Spider-Man movie. And then uh, Carol Coe went bankrupt, and that was kind of it. Uh, And we'll pick up that James Cameron thread later in 2024. Uh, that, that's kind of where it stalled out for a while and then the 90s Fox Kids animated series released Avi Arad was a producer on that the, the TV show was legendary uh, it's a nostalgic favorite so much that Disney Plus is making a new season of it next year yeah, it was nuts. very nuts uh, and I think that kind of got things rolling again um and this is where, a name that we're going to need to hold on to for a while, Lauren Schuler Donner, wife of the late Richard Donner, and an exec at uh, 20th Century Fox, bought the rights for X-Men, and the, 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 the search was on in earnest for a director, writer, stars. Uh, they, they were initially looking at Brett Ratner for a director, believe that or not. Uh, he will get his chance I do chance believe it, because he eventually gets his chance. Yeah. Uh, thank God. Thank God. You did not give this one. They're also looking at Paul W.S. Anderson. Not Paul, not Paul Thomas Anderson. Paul W.S. Anderson. Again, thank God they did not go with that one as well. I can't imagine him him have making this into the production that it was. Yeah. And then they're also looking at Robert Rodriguez, which I think could have. I mean, he's also, he's very, I think he's terrible in quality. Yeah. He's variable in quality. I agree. But when he reigns it in, I think he can make a good movie. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. And then they finally found Brian Singer, who was coming off of The Usual Suspects, which was a big success, a cultural kind of touchstone for the 90s. Uh, he was looking to do a science fiction movie. They initially pitched him Alien Resurrection, which that, there's, a, there's a real what if. <laughs> and then... Uh, Probably wouldn't have been worse. No. It, it, it stood a ch- it's also... also uh, Ten by, by Joss Whedon. Right. So. Because, well, because where the the um the director got I forgot his name, but it's not like they gave a it was not like the movie had a terrible director. It's just yeah. like oh, it's on it's, it's on the tip of my tongue. Jean Pierre Jeunet. That's it. Right. Uh, so it's not like Alien Resurrection had a terrible director. Of course, you and I are fans of Joss Whedon's work. Um, mm-hmm. So we don't. I don't. I feel like it didn't have a terrible script either. It was just the movie. <laughs> It didn't work for whatever reason, and I don't know why. It kind of felt. Sure. It felt like Alien had pivoted at that point from like a prestige, like theatrical franchise to like a directed video. Like it feels like a directed video movie to me. It does feel like a directed video movie, which is weird given that it had a fairly like the director had done stuff. Like it wasn't like some 
just fill in hack director who was doing it. So I don't know. Yeah, I'm I, I'm so with you. Like you he wanted to do like Amelie, which is like one of the most beloved movies of the 21st century. But you gotta go through Alien Resurrection first, I guess. <laughs> of course. That's how, how it goes. Uh, part of the Genea verse. So Vine Singer got locked in. Um Tom DeSanto is a Fox producer who kind of redirected him, like, don't do Alien Resurrection. How about this X-Men property? Um, and so that that's set. <laughs> the script struggles. There's a lot of pe- lot of a big cast of characters. You can do a whole podcast just on people who like did X-Men script revisions and doctoring and stuff. Uh, just to kind of keep it to like the uh, I kind of consider the most interesting parts of that. Uh, Michael Chabon, who uh, was kind of known for a comic inspired uh, novel at the beginning of the uh, 21st century called The Adventures of Cavalier and Clay uh, did a treatment on this. And then um, very heavily character based. Didn't even, didn't even introduce any villains, which I think is kind of an interesting perspective. Yeah, I'm um, not sure what the plot would have been, but it, yeah, if, you don't I have agree. Ba- if you don't have Magneto, you can you almost have nothing. <laughs> I'm I'm not sure what. Yeah, like I don't know what that plot is. I'm very interested to see like what the idea was. I'm not discounting it. I just I'm having trouble picturing it. Yeah, and we'll never know because obviously they didn't go for it, and there was just obviously like struggles. Like they've set like release dates that they're clearly going to miss and they set like this Christmas 1998 release date that they weren't going to make. And I think finally Chris Claremont just faxed Fox like this four page memo that just broke down all the central X-Men and their core characters, characterizations and said, this is, this is what you need to know. <laughs> like, <laughs> and that kind of set everything back on track again. Um, Singer and DeSanto had a, a workable draft that they uh, sent in to Fox in like late 1998 that they felt pretty confident in because it really did kind of focus and like take sincerely that core Stan Lee, uh, Professor X's MLK and Magneto's Malcolm X. And that also got rejected because they thought it would be too, uh, they being Fox thought it would be too expensive to produce. And this is where we kind of pick up on the subsequent failure of Batman and Robin and the relative success of Blade. Blade kind of indicated that there might be uh, an appetite for Marvel-based character movies, but Batman and Robin uh, taught them that they cannot make it cost too much. And you know what? I think this is a rare uh, example of a studio kind of reading the room correctly. I think that is the exact right instinct to have. Yeah, sometimes sometimes they get it right. <laughs> mm-hmm. So they set it at like $75 million, the budget, and they thought like the draft that the Santo and Singer had would probably be like $5 million dollars too expensive so they had to make some cuts and revisions so like characters like nightcrawler beast they were all uh, the danger room they were all in this original uh draft and they all went in the trash can none of those characters or elements are in this first x-men movie and i will say i think limiting the amount of characters in this first movie was a was a wise choice i think you you um you kind of get the the essential X-Men characters in this movie. Uh, and I think I think it's nice. I think, you know, obviously Beast and Nightcrawler are two characters I really like. But, mm-hmm. but I think you, you, you can overwhelm the audience, especially since, like, really, you know, like I said, like, Storm doesn't have a story arc in this movie. You know what I mean? No. Like, she's just kind of there, and she has cool powers, which is fine. But I think when you have too many characters who are just there with cool powers, it, it starts to feel like crowded. 
Uh, I definitely agree, especially with like a major ensemble thing. I think that's going to be something that uh, Marvel Studios is going to, um, if they haven't already realized it, that that's going to be a real challenge because uh, this is a very small movie. And I think they're might have to fight the instinct to bring in as many characters as they can. Um, yeah, no, I'm with you there. A couple other um, script notes. Um, Christopher McQuarrie, who is now kind of most famous for uh, kind of reducing the Mission Impossible movies, did the last three. But at the time, best known for writing the script for Usual Suspects, which come in to kind of uh, revise the script a little bit and um, help shape it. Joss Whedon was brought in to help shape the last act, and he decided he hated the script so much he just rewrote it from the studs up. Which feels like a very Joss Whedon move. It does. And didn't they reject it? Yeah, he basically he wrote this. That's, that's the most Joss Whedon move in general. Like being like, yeah. this sucks. I'm going to do it better. And then he turned in like, this sucks. What are you talking about? He didn't even say this sucks. What are you talking about? He, he got invited to the table read. And that's when he went to the table read. That's when he <laughs> learned they weren't using his scripts. <laughs> that's hilarious. Although there are a couple dialogue sequences that were, were kept. And uh, we will inevitably talk about that, I think. Um, Finally, last not last piece of the uh, script kind of stew that we have going here. David Hayter, an actor who was serving as singer's assistant at the time. Some may know him as the voice of Solid Snake from the Metal Gear Solid franchise. He's an actor. He's also a writer. He came in, he had this extensive knowledge of the original comics and brought all that, got invited to do another rewrite. And the final script, in terms of like who got credited for it, it landed on screen. It's a uh, David Hayter got sole screenplay credit. Brian Singer and Tom DeSanto got given story credit. But the final script ended up being a blend of the Macquarie Singer and Hayter draft, as well as uh, some of the work from a guy named Ed Solomon. Solomon and Macquarie declined or were forced to. It's not clear. They're not credited for this. Um, I think they I think they opted to have their names taken off and they kind of later regretted it. And how much was who's like how much of it was David Hayter, how much of it was Singer, it's depends on who you talk to. I think everyone kind of overinflates their own contributions, so it's hard to get a straight answer. But it's all generally a blend of like three drafts, ultimately. <laughs> is what it seems to me. Yeah. And that makes sense. Because this isn't this isn't like a great script, even for like superhero movies. Right? I mean, when you talk about yes. a great superhero script, I'm not comparing it to The Godfather or Susan Cain. You know, I'm just talking about like for the genre. It's not a great script. It's fine. It's serviceable. There's a couple of good one-liners, but mostly I think it's a good story where they got the characters right with some really good performances. I think that's dead on. Yeah, I think it's a better story than it is like scene by scene. Like there's some good scenes. There's a lot of, you know, when we get to our superlatives, like best line, I kind of struggle with best line because it's not like it's not filled with crackling dialogue. No, it's not. Uh, um, but the dialogue is also not like terrible. It's, it's just like it's serviceable. I think, some of, yeah, I agree. Some of the ironic dialogue I, is the one area where I'm not sure aged great. <laughs> like all you the, know, what were you expecting? Yellow spandex? That, um, and some they pull it off like Psychops Storm. Where they call you wheels, oh, but like that's okay. that only works because of Hugh Jackman. I think like right. that line delivered incorrectly would be would have aged very poorly. I think so. You I know, completely I completely agree. 
Uh, here, I'm going to fold because, again, I'm a little intimidated by like this. There's just so many people in this cast. I might fold in casting notes with like alternates. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, that's see, fine. Yeah, you'll see yeah, what yeah. I'm doing here. Um, in terms of casting, um, obviously Hugh Jackman ended up as Wolverine. We'll talk about him in a second. I know what you are. You lost your money. You keep this up. You lose something else. Uh, they were initially looking at Glenn Danzig. Who? Uh, he's the lead singer of the band Danzig. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, um, if you look him up, I mean, it's just one of those like '80s, '90s rock guys. I think. Okay. Um, yeah. Want to make sure I get his. Uh, he's like a, he's like a punk artist. Might be might be closer to the '70s. Uh, yeah, like late '70s, '80s. Uh, he kind of looks like the comics version of Wolverine. He is kind of like short and stout. <laughs> um, I think it was good that they pivoted away from him, just because, you know. <laughs> get an actual actor and stuff but like <laughs> um russell crowe was uh brian singer's first choice uh, crowe declined it and uh, recommended a, a friend of his that was relatively unknown whose name was hugh jackman uh doug ray scott i knew, before we talk about hugh jackman doug ray scott was signed on to do it his name was on the dotted line he had to back out due to uh, Mission Impossible 2's shooting schedule. He is the villain of Mission Impossible 2. And uh, there was this conflicts there. Um, <laughs> it also sounds like Tom Cruise basically said, like, I am, I am forcing you to, like, not do this X-Men movie. <laughs> and then he suffered, like, an injury. And then all those things combined basically meant he had to back wow. out. So there were that's, three weeks. That's yeah. for him, man. That's, got, that's a real, like, what if question for him, too. Um, yeah. It's hard to imagine he would have been as good. Uh, that's 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 the thing yeah yeah Uh, like russell crowe i hear i'm like oh that'd be interesting like crowe could have done it but like russell crowe would have been just like a young russell crowe like this like late 90s russell crowe that would have been really yeah i do think i do think they would have had trouble getting russell crowe to come back for more movies he would have been like jackman was like always down for another x-men movie uh yeah he loved it (laughs) loves it he's still doing it (laughs) Yeah, even though even though he said he was done, he's still doing it. So um, yeah, so we'll see him and his buddy Reynolds. So that's, um, <laughs> that's one area where I'm like, even though Russell Crowe would have been interesting, you're still like, I'm very happy Hugh Jackman was the one who took it. But yeah, there's no way they would have gotten him to like Deadpool three. There's just no way. <laughs> <laughs> who you say that, but somehow he's going to be in Deadpool three as an alternate version of Wolverine. Oh Jesus! You know what? I'll take it. That'd be cool. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm very mixed on Deadpool 3. I, 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 we'll, we'll talk about that somewhere down the line. Um, yeah, but this is the we got. Hugh Jackman, three weeks into filming of the movie, he auditioned and he got the part. And it turned out to be this icon- iconic performance. I think probably helped by the fact that this is everyone's introduction to him. <laughs> I think that True. is undeniably yeah, I mean, part of it. Mm-hmm. But let's talk a little Jackman right now. Um Obviously, he's great. <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of hard to... Um, it's so anti his um, normal persona, which is like song and dance man and uh, big bright. It's all very like cigar chompy and brooding. But I think he plays... I think he plays it all relatively grounded. Like, it doesn't feel like he's trying to like be a badass. I think a lot of people might have taken like the badass route with this. I think he just kind of plays it as like wounded. <laughs> and disinterested i think that's a good i think that's a good tactic i agree i agree and it also 
I yeah, and because one one problem can be with like characters like Wolverine, it's tempting to like go all in on like Wolverine's dark side, and mm-hmm. then like then you're like, well, I don't buy that this guy is helping the X Men. Whereas here, you do buy that he's got that hero's instinct. He's just like you said, wounded and and using apathy as a uh, as a you know protection, you know self protection. I will say, and here's it's it's a performance so good and so iconic that I kind of think Marvel movies, I guess Fox, and now Marvel Studios is kind of inheriting. There's kind of a Hugh Jackman problem in that. How do you how do you move past him? I think there is like this. I mean, <laughs> it's not a spoiler just, to say like Hugh Jackman's basically like in every X Men movie that has been made <laughs> up to this point. They find they find some way. There might be like one or two, but they find some way to like get him a cameo or whatever. And here we are. I mean, Marvel Studios has had the X Men property for five years, and they brought back Hugh Jackman. So. Yeah. No, that's fair. And I've always felt like the answer is just don't put Wolverine in the movie. Like you don't need Wolf- Days of Future Past, not Days of Future Past. Um, X Men First Class spoilers does have a Hugh Jackman cameo, but that movie was good without Wolverine being a really being in it. Uh, you know, and so I, I think I've always felt like. The, Hugh Jackman, like you said, they were so good. He was so good in the role, and he was so iconic that Fox was like, "Well, he has to be in every movie." When the answer is, "No, he doesn't." No, like, he really doesn't. There's so many X Men characters. Like you can focus on a different one. Yeah, I just think he is so pop. I mean, the, it, the comics kind of had that same problem too. Like Wolverine's probably bigger than the X Men at maybe not at this point, but like when you think X Men, you think Wolverine first. Most people, right. the average person. Yeah. We pulled a hundred people on Family Feud. Like sixty-seven people would pick like Wolverine. Sure, sure. I mean that's true, but at the same time, like Marvel will still have like X Men comics that don't feature Wolverine at all. Yeah, so. yeah. No, you're right. I think it, it's the only move to make. I just it's interesting that there's been like this hesitancy to do it, and maybe maybe once the multiverse stuff is like out of their system, maybe they'll do like a more. I kind of want almost like a. They say the line like "Welcome to Mutant High." I think like that'd be a good logline for like a future X Men Marvel Studios property. It's just like at the school, bunch of students learning. <laughs> like yeah, I don't know. Well, that feels like a Disney Plus series that could work for me. Yeah, potentially. And kind of develop characters and see. Well, I do goes. think. I do. I do think. Well, no, we're we're getting off a we're getting off on a tangent here. Uh, so. <laughs> we. That's not allowed on this show. <laughs> <laughs> all, all I was going to say is I do think Disney Plus has kind of watered down the Marvel um, brand. Oh, it sure has. In, in a negative way. And so I, I, I actually think Disney needs to pull the reins a little bit on some of those Disney Plus. I haven't even watched them all. So I, I am not even commenting on the quality of all of them. It's uh, more the, the quantity. The quantity and the perceived quality. Yeah. Because like I said, well, I can't even comment on the quality of all of them because there's, there's a lot of them and they're, they're not as well-loved as many of the movies were. Yeah, my one comment to that is I, it is frustrating because, you know, their struggles with the limited series model kind of led them to, like, announce, like, you know, what we learned through, like, developing these TV shows is that you need to, like, develop pilots first and, like, have plans for multiple seasons and have showrunners. It's like, oh, you guys think you invented TV? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. That is yeah. arrogant, Jesus. Yeah, but if they adhere to that model and kind of do, you know, kind of like what shows that they used to have, like Agents of Shield, and treat them like actual TV shows, I think that that could X Men could be a nice 
property to use there. I don't think it would work as in their current model, and maybe there's a reason they haven't done that yet. But That's we'll see. True. That's fair. We'll see. Yeah. Or they'll just bring back <laughs> Hugh Jackman and just go. I don't know. I, we'll see. <laughs> I don't know. I'm. Just, <laughs> I'll shut up about Deadpool. Um. Uh, yeah, we can move on to Professor Xavier, Charles Xavier. Patrick Stewart was always the uh, the guy they had in mind. Um, going all the way back to 1997. Uh, the only other real name I have attached to Professor X is uh, <laughs> uh, there's a famous music star who uh, heavily campaigned for the role, although he was never seriously considered uh, for reasons I think will remain very obvious. And that music star was Michael Jackson. <laughs> That is fascinating that he wanted it so bad. Would have been a different movie. I mean, I think it would have been a different movie. It sort of makes sense leaving all his stuff off the table because there's no, we all know it. But like, I can kind of see the appeal of like this like mentor to like troubled youths and stuff. I can see him kind of relating to that. I, 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 that if you, if you, if you muse on it a little bit, I, it makes sense. I can kind of see why that role would like speak to him again i don't mean that in a salacious way i just you know he was a very troubled kid himself and had like a pretty bad childhood and i can kind of see like this professor x character who's like mentoring these troubled kids and kind of being the best version of themselves i could see why michael jackson would like want to play that role but also why would he ever be in this movie (laughs) what a horrible idea (laughs) yeah um it is interesting how many like musical stars were attached to this movie or at least had desire to be in the movie that's true yeah i mean very listed too and you could argue jackman's sort of not a musician but he is like a singer and dancer and stuff like he's a broadway guy or would become one anyway uh but yeah we got patrick stewart i think it's probably the most dead on cast but it's like the most like oh yeah you know, just write patrick stewart down on a piece of yeah. paper you're done there's nothing like cast true like over. it was a very obvious choice but it was also the right one so everyone's okay with it yeah 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 the biggest star at the time on this um cast list i, I feel very comfortable i mean we already kind of talked about that yeah. how do we i'll let you go first what do you think about uh old uh uh <laughs> captain john luke picard here i mean he's great i think he he knows exactly what the role is required you know he uh He's a very steady presence in this movie um, and a very empathetic presence. I think, I think Patrick Stewart's really good at, at that kind of mental role as well, uh, which of course why he's the obvious choice. I don't know. I mean, and it's something I will say now that I've actually watched Star Trek, um, it's, it's actually a more different role from John Luke Picard than I realized. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah, well, because Picard, if, if you're ever able to watch Next Gen, which I do recommend, I think. I, I, every year I tell myself, this is the year I do Star Trek, and I never do it. Maybe 2024. That'll, that'll be it. You know, uh, fair enough. Picard's a very emotional character. Um, and he, he, you know, he can be very prone to anger at times. You know, I mean, like, he's a very complex character, obviously, but, like, he's, he's not the... I'm going to say he's a rash character, but like he's he's not as like the steady like like uh, Professor X in this movie is a very like calm, steady presence. Like he's, mm-hmm. he, 
he's very understanding, very comforting. When people react to him with anger, he reacts with empathy. And that's not Picard. Interesting. Uh, and Picard I, is also a very calculating character, and a, but you know he he'll shout at people. He will he will get upset with people, and up, and and of course Picard is the character who you know constantly being put his life is constantly being put in mortal danger. You know, <laughs> so, sure. Uh, uh, so there's a lot, lot lot going on. So he's, he's constantly under a lot of stress and strain as well. But uh, I would I don't know I. I, I was surprised by how, like, obviously similar in some ways. They're both very commanders and in charge of what's going on, and they're both good mentor figures with who kind of have this stern wisdom to them. Uh, yeah. But I think I think one the the one big difference is like when we meet Picard at the beginning of Next Gen, he's like a young commander still learning, whereas here Professor X is like the kind of he's, he's seen a lot already and he's at the kind of like you know he's, he's an older mentor now and looking back at like helping helping the young people that's an interesting yeah i just i gotta i gotta get on the star trek train because i i know <laughs> i'll probably have fun with it the same way that you do where like you can't take the the great with like the not so great and it's kind of fun there's definitely way. some not so great <laughs> Yeah, so I feel like I feel like Star Trek bad is different from like Star Wars bad, which is like its own different thing. Yeah, no, I I, I like the idea that like you know Picard can. It, it's something interesting about like a hero that like a lead character at least that can kind of maybe like cause conflict by like making mistakes. <laughs> like sometimes I think that's a the Professor X is a very like steady presence. I don't recall him misstepping much in the in these movies but um and also i'll say this patrick stewart is um given a lot of uh, clunky exposition lines that don't feel yeah. don't feel that bad because i mean he's basically like the guy who goes like this is where we are this is what this is <laughs> <laughs> my wife trina kind of laughed at a there's a line when i will say this uh, I, i'm setting up i'll set up her line here uh, the central twist, because the whole movie they think like Magneto wants Wolverine for some reason, and then the twist is actually they're looking for Rogue, which feel, it feels a little weak because it's like I don't know, it feels kind of obvious because Rogue's powers are like way more powerful, um, at least in terms of what um, Magneto's trying to do. But they kind of explain it with um, Professor X going like, "This helmet must have been blocking my telepathy," <laughs> and she started cracking up at that line because it was just so like. <laughs> It felt to her, and I see her point very clearly. Like they almost had to like write a line, like "How did Professor X like? <laughs> how did Professor X mi mix that?" <laughs> it almost sounded like it almost sounded like he's like didn't want to admit he made a mistake. So he's like, "Uh oh, the the helmet must have blocked my telepathy. It's not that I screwed up." <laughs> so he has a lot of lines like that, but he's he you know he's which of course in Star Trek he had a lot of lines like that too. So he's a little practiced at uh, exposition. Yeah, but you know. <laughs> Patrick Stewart is Royal Shakespeare trained. Um, and in fact, he is featured pretty prominently on a uh, series of videos that are probably on YouTube or streaming somewhere called uh, Performing Shakespeare, where like the uh, Royal Shakespeare Company from like, I guess the 80s, maybe late 70s. Basically, it's like an eight part series about how to like interpret his text and they put his stuff like on, on their feet. And like you, everyone in the company, someone you'd recognize, like Ben Kingsley's in there, David Chasse. It's a great thing. And Patrick Stewart is like, yeah, he's, he's, he's holding court doing Shakespeare. So, hey, yeah, he's, 
very very comfortable with words yeah <laughs> that's my point and you, you should all check out that performing shakespeare show uh <laughs> if i can find it i'll put a, I'll put a link in there uh i'm just gonna go down the line here what i have uh jim caviezel was initially cast as cyclops he had to drop out due to scheduling oh, conflicts. that would have been good too i, I mean i like james martin but that would have been good too yeah, I think being, it brings a different kind of like harder, harder edge. Not only in comparison to James Marsden, who I think has a very soft presence. Not not in a bad way. Um, yeah, James Marsden. Let's talk about him a little bit. Feels like his... Um, you going to tell me to stay away from me, girl? Well, if I had to do that, she wouldn't be my girl. Biggest... This, 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 this is what made him famous, right? I don't know what came before this. I can't remember him before this movie. And I feel like... I feel like it... It took him a while to kind of become a household name even after this. I feel like for a long time he was just kind of like the Cyclops from X-Men. Yeah. Then he just, he just like kept making movies where he was not the main star but in them and kept doing like TV shows and kept putting in good performances that now he's kind of a household name. Yeah, and kind of a uh, kind of a scene stealer in like family movies from the two thousands, like Enchanted and like Hairspray and stuff. So like I think that kind of helps solidify things a little bit too. You could see you could see a family. 15, 20 years ago with like a mom, a dad, a daughter, and a son. Each one of them has like a different favorite like James Marsden movie from like completely different directions. Right. But he wasn't the star of any of them. No. You know what I mean? (laughs) Right. (laughs) And so, yeah. But I think he's built a good career doing that. And so... um... Absolutely. Yeah. And I think he's... I think his Cyclops is fine. They play him a little too like... Get away from my gal. Well, the, the problem is this movie is from the point of view of Wolverine. Right. Uh, and as that, and like you, he, he's, he's a, if, he's, if there's the one criticism to have of this movie is they could have given Cyclops a storyline. Agreed. You know, um, he's supposed to be the leader of the X-Men and he is an, I do think he is an interesting character and someone who struggles with leadership in the comics. And that is interesting, I think. And none of that's here. He's just kind of like the leader who's kind of a dick because he's threatened by Wolverine, right, rightfully so. Yes, he has a point the entire time. He, he does, yeah, and I think that helps. That makes you not that makes you not dislike him because you're like, well, Wolverine is hitting on Jean pretty aggressively, pretty and then like, like kind of taunts, and then like taunts him about. It. He's like, "What are you gonna yeah. do? Is this where you tell me like stay away from my gal?" Like, yeah, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so like I, I, that's what makes it work. Like he, Cyclops, he's being a little jealous, but at the same time, like he's kind of right to be threatened um yeah but he has no story arc here and, no he's just was, Jean, he's gene gray's boyfriend yeah he's just gene, gene gray's boyfriend and the leader and that's it and that's fine for this movie but it would have been nice if they could have found a way to give him a little bit of a storyline agreed you know uh <laughs> speaking of characters that kind of will famously become underserved um rogue the initial choice or uh, one of the initial additions uh, Rachel Lee Cook. Rachel Lee Cook. But they kind of went with the more, uh, I guess, by comparison, prestige choice and Anna Paquin. Um, Niagara Falls, up the Canadian Rockies, and then it's only a few hundred miles to Anchorage. Don't want to be kind of cold. Well, that's the point, stupid. Otherwise, it wouldn't be an adventure. Um, a role that I've always found interesting, especially in this movie, because she is the audience surrogate for the first 20 minutes, and then it transfers over to Wolverine, and the series arguably never turns back. 
ever again. Yeah, yeah I think they um, give her something to do in the second X-Men movie, but after that, I think she's pretty... Well, maybe the third one, too. I think for this first trilogy, she, she gets stuff to do. But then after that, yeah, I feel like she's cameos at best. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think she is... She's Her best stuff is in the first act, right? I mean, yeah. all of her scenes, basically, with, like, dialogue, and then she kind of just gets, like, tied to, like, a... a the Statue of Liberty or whatever, and then that's that's kind of it for Rogue, and it's kind of a shame because she starts off in such an interesting place. This teenager who can't touch anybody, like what a what a disaster. Yeah, at the same time, I I don't mind it. I don't mind stories that like ease you into the main character by through other characters, through other side characters. I think it's a good storytelling technique, and I know what you're saying. Like, it is kind of an interesting story of teenager who can't touch someone. And there's probably more they could have done with that than what they did. Um, but I, I, I'm also not sure it makes for a good superhero movie, like action movie. That's fair. Uh, and so, and I, yeah, like I said, I, I'm okay with like starting out being about Rogue as a way to like be the audience there again and, and ease us into who is really the main character of the movie in Wolverine. Um, I think that's a... Like I said, I think it's a good storytelling technique and one you don't see used all that often despite it's a very old storytelling technique. That's true. Uh, especially in superhero movies, they kind of just jump you right into like, you know, for better force, here's Robert Downey Jr. Here's what he's all about. <laughs> yeah. Here's yeah. Steve Rogers, yeah. Yeah. Again, great movies. That's not that's not a diss, but that is kind of like, that is kind of like the move now <laughs> is establish them uh, right away. Um, yeah, I, I have to wonder maybe some of this more character, uh, two notes. I wonder if that more character-based approach for Rogue was maybe like a Michael Chabon draft um, left over. I don't know how much of that to use, maybe none, but that feels more in line with like a very heavily character-based, less comic book villain um, version of the movie. Yeah, that's true. And two, for what it's worth, I think some of the best, the very best stuff in this movie is when it's Rogue and Wolverine together talking. That's like when the movie really becomes something kind of special and unique, even, even from within the X-Men franchise, at least in my opinion. So it's clearly worked because the two of them together are great. I agree. And, and you, you buy Wolverine going to great lengths, try to help her. Mm -hmm. uh, so, and she is a central part of the plot throughout the whole movie. So I think, I think it still works. Yeah. Um, I mean, the movie is about her in a literal sense. She right. is the, she's, <laughs> I, I hate this. I mean, it's a real word. I think it gets overused. She is like the MacGuffin of the movie, even though she's <laughs> also a human being and she matters. But <laughs> uh, she is the object that is being sought for by the villain and that needs to get gotten back. So she's quite literally what the movie's about. Um, two more, and then we, I guess we can go on to uh, uh, superlatives. Uh, Charlie Theron turned down the role of Jean Grey. I think that is an interesting version of this movie that has Charlie Theron. I, I think she'd be great in this. You know this plastic prison of theirs won't hold me forever. The war is still coming, Charles, and I intend to fight it. By any means necessary. I think Charlie Theron is a better actress than Tommy Jensen. Mm -hmm. Not that I think Jensen does a bad job, because I think she's good in the role. But I also think there's a reason Jensen just hasn't had a huge career. He's like the only one in this movie um, of the, like the main heroes who hasn't gone on to have a great career. 
No, I'm with you. I think she's she's not bad. She's just sort of like the weak link here. Um, she's also the only one who wasn't in an episode of Next Gen. So I don't know if that's what that. Oh, means, for real? But, Has everyone else yeah. been in an episode? No, she's the only one who wasn't in an episode. Oh, no one else. Oh. I was gonna say Ian McKellen was in a next gen episode. Get out of here. No, that would have been that would have been nuts. No. Oh my god, yeah. Yeah, I don't know what that means. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. I just wanted to mention it. It's a good fun fact though. I mean, it's a little yeah. definition of a fun fact. That was fun. <laughs> um Yeah, I mean, Jean Grey's okay. And this also kind of speaks to like the big X-Men, the other X-Men problem. They they've never nailed they never nailed Jean Grey in 25 years. They've never quite the Dark Phoenix saga is something that both franchises eventually tackle, and they're both kind of letdowns uh, for several reasons, not just because of Sophie Turner, uh, Famke Jansen, or whoever. And it's also like it's a writing um, fumble. But uh, yeah, I don't know. She's camera likes her. She looks like a she looks like a star. But I don't know. There's something kind of not compelling about her. I've never kind of gotten it. <laughs> that's, and that's really cruel. I wish I had like a nicer way of putting it, but just, she's not that interesting to me. And I think that's also what kills Cyclops' story a little bit. Cause you know, Anna Paquin and Wolverine, it's, it's, it's more of like a father daughter thing, but like you, you buy their chemistry. Like again, you, uh, Rogue is played well enough that you buy why Wolverine would stick his neck out to protect her. I don't get any of that between, uh, uh, <laughs> Marzen well, and Fomka here. We don't get any scenes with just the two of them by themselves. That's true. Uh, yeah, there's no, there's no scene where, like, she's like, "Hey, listen, nothing's going on between me and Logan," or something. You know what I mean? Or just like them talking about uh, her struggling with her powers or anything. Like, there's, there's no like scenes between the two of them, which. I never really thought about until we we're just talking about right now, but maybe that that's the weakness in the, in the, in the Wolverine and not a Wolverine and the Cyclops and in great storyline. They, we, we don't spend any time with just them. It's all, it is all from Wolverine's perspective. That's where you have to wonder if like, this is the only time where I go, what if there's an extra 10 minutes in this movie? Just like an extra 10 But minutes. not to the danger room, but just the No, not the danger that. room. Yeah. Like <laughs> the, the flesh out that Jean Grey yeah. and Cyclops. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah, um, I agree. I think I think that'd be one way er, area that would have helped this movie. A couple of good scenes, giving those two a bit more of a story. Agreed. And then uh, big, the big, the other big star and scene sealer here, at least in my opinion, Ian McKellen. Who um, I don't know if there are really any other alternates for Magneto. At least none that I could find. I'm sure that I'm sure there are others, but um, he seemed pretty eager to uh, sign on to this. Yeah, he's a He's an uh, openly gay man himself, and he was very um, interested in kind of the, al- the main allegory at play here. And um, A, it doesn't surprise me. The movie does approach it sincerely. And B, look, Ian McKellen is like perfect for Magneto. <laughs> it, just, it just is. I know it's a character they have recast, obviously. The younger version was Fastbender, and he's good. Um, but I think McKellen is just like perfect for like this older, very scarred, very cynical Magneto. He's, <laughs> he's perfect. Yeah, I mean, both him and Stuart are perfect and they're scenes together. They're both great actors. And so even if they're not giving the best dialogue, they're great scenes because the two actors make it work. Um, yeah, it's simple dialogue, but like they, yeah. they, they imbue it with all this like history and meaning. Like they don't need a scene of them younger, like being friends. You buy their friendship, like from the second they're on scene together. Yep. Um, uh, 
No, it's great. It's great. Um, do you want to talk about that central metaphor? Sure. Yeah. I'd love um, to. Because something struck me about it. As, you know, when I first saw this movie, you watched it, you're like, oh, yeah. Like, it's obvious it's a metaphor for something. You're like, oh, yeah, that sucks. Watching it 20 years later, or however long it's been, uh, 25. <laughs> Yeah, uh, we're getting close you, to the quarter uh, century. You know, you it's something something odd about about some of the choices in this movie. Like, for instance, you know, it, it's obviously they. I believe in the sixties, Exxon was supposed to be a bit more of a metaphor for race and racial relations. Yeah, here it's more talking about uh, homosexuality. And of course, one of the things about homosexuality is people will say, "Well, it's, it's dangerous, right? Uh, homosexuality is dangerous." It's perverted, um, right? It's perverted, uh, and even some very extreme voices. I'm not saying this represents everyone on that point of view. But some very extreme voices will say, "Well, they're trying to turn our kids gay," mm-hmm. right? I mean, that that is like groomers and stuff like that. Like, like that's something people believe. So it's an interesting choice to me that in this, what is a pro, you know, being accepting of a homosexuality movie, the villain's decision <laughs> is to try to turn everyone into a mutant. Yeah. Yes. Isn't that kind of not justifying, but I just I just found that I found that to be a little interesting. Um, that like the villain in this movie is the is what the people you're arguing against is their fear. Yeah, no, I I, I go back and forth between because I, I, I notice the exact same thing, and um, it's kind of on the more like um, racial prejudice side. It's also kind of an interesting like. They dramatize this, but not that. We can jump to that in a second. But to kind of um, continue the, the gay metaphor part of it, um, I kept going back and forth between, is this a misstep or is this kind of an interesting deepening of the theme? Because then you kind of get into stuff about like, and just uh, in a broad sense, like radical extremism. And does that kind of, does, does terrorism kind of end up validating people's fears, which kind of, you know, it goes to like Professor X's point is you can't, you can't demonize these people. Like they will... They will come around, but not if you keep going with what you're going. I mean, I think this is why the movie ultimately works in a way that like a lot of other X-Men movies don't. And that Professor X and Magneto's points are perfectly justified. You know exactly what you you know exactly where they're coming from. And honestly, I don't know what the right answer is between the two of them. I have no, you know, I don't mean that in like a the movie screwed up way. I mean that in like a if this were like a real world example, I would have no idea who's gonna come out on top here. Um but yeah, you could see that as like a misread of like Magneto does turn falling the metaphor out. Magneto does turn the senator uh, into a mutant or gay or whatever, and then like he dies. Uh, does that validate everything? I think that kind of speaks to like the kind of fear behind both people who experience terrorist attacks and people who commit them. I don't know. It's an inter- it's an interesting movie. And it's a deeper thought than we normally get from superhero right. movies well, at least it, in my opinion I, something i'll say is i feel like it's not as safe right i feel like um kind of this, this kind of complex portrayal of the marginalized groups with with the mutants being the enemy here right and doing doing the things that uh because i feel like these days there's, there's a tendency to be like well we can't we can't make the other side appear re- the the side that wants to discriminate against other people Right, we have to we have to just villainize them, right? We're Senator Kelly here. I don't agree with what he has to say, but like, you can hear why he feels it. I mean, mutants are dangerous. 
Yeah. Right? I if, mean, like, yeah, in, in, the wrong, in this in the universe, wrong powers are dangerous. Yeah, yeah, in this universe, views are dangerous. Like, that doesn't make it okay to try to, like, discriminate against them and stuff like that. But, like, they allow him to actually have some good points. And I, and I do wonder if I feel like in this very sensitive climate to cultural topics, mm-hmm. whether that's something Marvel will be willing to actually do in a X-Men movie. I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I was also thinking about, because like Mar- Marvel Cinematic Universe has like dealt with like themes from history before, but kind of in like this, uh, they bring it up, but then like don't really um, follow. Like, you know, like the like Captain America, not Captain America, Falcon and the Winter Soldier kind of talks on like the Tuskegee experiment and stuff like, like this horrendous like <laughs> moment in history. This Marvel talks about like the partition and that's like a main but that's safe. Uh, think of a yeah, but like these are all obvious. It's safe. Like, yeah, it's safe things. to it's safe to look at something that happened eighty years ago and be like, this wasn't this wasn't good. This wasn't handled well. Uh, yeah, no shit. Mm-hmm. We, we we all know that. Yeah, uh, but here uh, no, even even like Disney, um, Disney Plus would never make this. Marvel yeah. would not make the movie this way right now. I yeah. promise you that. Even, <laughs> even like uh, the Winter Soldier, which everyone likes to like hype up as like a political thriller, like yeah, they're <laughs> their uh, their message is that the government spying on people is bad. Like everyone agrees with that. Like that's something conservatives and liberals can both like say, yeah, that sucks. Yeah. Uh, Surveillance is wrong. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so like even when they do go and make a political statement, it's, it's generally a pretty soft one. Yeah, and one that like yeah, you <laughs> you'd have to be a numbskull to be like, well, actually, they they had a point experimenting on the black soldiers. Like you'd have to be real. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and, and I know, and even, even like, like the stupid fucking uh, speech at the end of Winter Soldier <laughs> and Falcon and Winter Soldier were like, Y'all gotta do better. Y'all gotta do better. Like, yeah, no one likes politicians, okay? Yeah. <laughs> you're not, you're not exactly breaking new boundaries here. What, what a way to make a stance. We should do better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I, I it's it's kind of provocative, man, and maybe even more provocative now when watching it in twenty twenty three than even in two thousand. These aren't abstract I think concepts. So. These are concepts that are being talked about right these, now. Yeah, these are concepts that have grown since then. Like, which isn't uh, great. And, and the idea, had, no, it's but... not. <laughs> uh, but yeah, these are these uh, people are saying like it, it's only gotten more like this, not less. Which um, I don't know. But it's so in that in that way, the themes aged differently. But I also think it adds some color again to the central conflict between uh, Charles and uh, Eric Lenscher, which is what a great, what a great name. I love, I've <laughs> always loved saying that. Um, and that, you know, Professor X's stance is that like the humans will come around and <laughs> Magneto has like this kind of inarguable point of like, are you sure? They, they haven't before. <laughs> like, <laughs> and that's hard, that's hard to argue against. And I don't know. I think, yeah. We shouldn't be confused to be justifying his action. But oh no, terrorism is never the answer. But yeah. you, but I think but Professor you, X is naive a lot in this sometimes. Maybe right. That's the debate. So mm-hmm. well, yeah. He, I don't know. I personally believe that, but it's that is a stance to be taken, and that's why I think this movie is sneakily pretty successful because it touches. There is a there is a. You know, the movie opens with like the whole, like Poland, like Nazi invasion of Poland, right? <laughs> like, yeah. Which is it like, goes there right from the first bold. scene. Yeah. Um, but again, that's also like everyone agrees, Holocaust sucks. You know, that's right. not, I feel like that's not as bold as far as like 
it's a bold statement as far as it being like a really dramatic thing. But I feel like it's not that bold as far as like it's a setting we're all very familiar and comfortable with at this point in movies. Right. Yeah, we can all sit there and go, "Oh yeah, that was bad." Because it was, <laughs> but like it is almost like a cheat code sometimes in movies. It is, and it works here, so I'm not complaining. Oh, but... it's great because it sets up, it sets up Magneto perfectly, and then like the next yeah. the scene three, that's like scene one, and scene three is him watching this Senate hearing go to hell, and he's just like, "All right, this, I told you it was gonna happen." Yeah. <laughs> I know, <laughs> like, uh. I had to have a quick paragraph about Brian Singer. I'm bouncing back and forth as to how much I want to get into it. I will just, okay. I'll just, I'll leave it at this. <laughs> Apparently, a huge pain in the ass on set. Um, it's always weird when the director's a pain in the ass. So go on. Yeah, just kind of known for showing up late and uh, prone to mood swings. Some might qualify them as a uh, hissy fits, um, <laughs> which is never becoming at any age past the age of like five. <laughs> um, this is the part we can, it's going to come up again somewhere down the line, but we can kind of known for having younger boys with them at the story meetings and stuff, which made people feel a little awkward. <laughs> um, In what way? I'm, uh, I'm just, I, this is not, this is news to me. I'm not, I'm not. He, so to, to be blunt, he is known, it, he's long been accused of like offering like young boys roles in exchange for sex. To be blunt. That is <laughs> that, that is a Awful. long, that is a long-standing accusation of him. He's never really been like charged with anything, but he's kind of gone in and out of like pariah status because of that. Um, I guess the character Jeez. that played uh, pariah, uh, Pyro, who's like in one scene, he's yeah. like very young and blonde and pretty. He was like being flown in from like Toronto, which people found pretty unusual considering it's like a one-scene thing. They could have hired like a local. So, right. Uh, there was a young associate producer. Who was basically assigned the role of like Brian Singer uh, Wrangler, and that associate producer's name was Kevin Feige. That's enough. This is sort of the beginning of Kevin Feige. It's a name we're going to be saying a lot in the years to come. Um, but this is kind of where it starts. This is where he kind of uh, gets his, you know, he cuts his teeth on a uh, the X Men series, and he kind of learns what to do and maybe what not to do. So that's that. Um, unless, unless you have a uh, burning desire to talk about Ray Park or uh, Tyler Maine or any of these people that well, that's uh, that's saber tooth. I almost said Wolverine. That's saber tooth and uh, <laughs> the Toad. <laughs> uh, but, no, uh, I, I do know the Toad wasn't a fan of Meta. Yes, that's the only thing I didn't really know about him. He was that's Darth it. Maul in the fan of Meta. Oh, you know what? An associate, I think, like an assistant fight choreographer on this movie is Kihui Kwan, who uh, was a. Uh, the short round in uh, <laughs> Temple of Doom and went on to win the Oscar uh, last oh, year. Oh, wow. Yeah. For, uh, yeah. Uh, everything everywhere all at once. So, yeah, this is, this is kind of where he was at. Uh, there are other moments I, I suspect will be captured in our superlatives. Do we want to just move on over to yeah, there? Yeah, let's, let's just do that. And we can always do any final thoughts afterwards. After the yeah. Yeah. Because there's a couple of moments involving some characters we haven't talked about yet that um, I think will be talked about very shortly. For people just joining us for the first time, we end our episodes by going through a round of superlatives. Uh, only a few. Uh, stuff like best moment, worst moment, best line. And of course, the ever-important MVP. Why don't we start, we'll start with a big one for this movie. And um, best use of superpowers. It's a category that we're often kind of left short on lately with like more gadget-based superheroes. 
there's almost too many superpower moments to choose from here. Um, so I don't know if you want to go first or I can go. You, you can go first. That's fine. There's a lot to choose from for sure. I think but I most, do have a favorite. Yeah. I think the most terrifying use of uh, superpower force in this is when Magneto uh, basically steals, levitates all the law enforcement's guns and turns them around on them. That's terrifying. And again, if this made the news, which almost certainly would, wouldn't this immediately turn everyone against mutants overnight? This is a really dangerous game Magneto's playing. <laughs> you homo sapiens and your guns. Yes, it would. I mean, absolutely it would. Um, yeah, and that was my moment too. Uh, so oh, I'll take a different go. one. Because there were a lot to choose from. There are. Um, I, I, I always enjoyed Storm's powers in this movie. She, she wasn't given much of a story arc, but she was well used. Uh, using the fog to cover in the jet coming in. And if you know what you're looking for, it's obvious who's doing it, but they were just trying to hide from other people, not necessarily Magneto. Uh, I, I, I generally liked the way Storm's powers were portrayed in this movie. Yeah, I, I kind of play the game of like whose powers are like the coolest. And I think Storm is way up there. Although it's usually just like Storm and Lightning. Do you think her, she ever makes it like really hot? Like just makes it like 120 or something? I don't it's know. Always, she doesn't yeah. do wind. I'm not sure she controls. Well, I guess she does control temperature because she can make it snow, right? Can't I think she make so. it cold? I think so. Is it not, in this movie, she didn't. She just did like wind and lightning. And we'll like rain. To, we'll, we'll have yeah. to track that. Yeah. Let's see where we're at. Another runner-up. I always, I always really liked this. It's um. They they make a lot of use of Wolverine's claws in these movies. Oh uh, yeah. But not in so much how heavy he must be. Like he's <laughs> he's walking metal. Like legitimately, <laughs> like they grab him metal to his entire exoskeleton. And when we first meet him, they give you a hint of who he is when he like punches that guy's hand. Oh my God, yeah. And like it breaks his hand. And I always thought that was a cool use of his, his Mantium exoskeleton that never gets used again. Like if he headbutts people, they were gonna get knocked the fuck out, maybe even killed. And they never make use of, and maybe because that would happen, like he's, like, he's, he's dangerous. It's, so they, it's I feel overpowered, like, yeah. That's the only time I can remember in all the, like the hundreds of X-Men movies. Uh, <laughs> that they actually like use the fact that he has metal grafted into his skin, other than the fact like his retractable claws. That's a good point. Yeah, I mean he's like a he's like a train basically. Like he could if he ran you over, he'd you die. <laughs> Potentially, yeah. <laughs> How about moment you wouldn't see today, Jimmy? What do you got? You know, this was a tough one because. We're, we are starting to get more modern here with these movies. And even though this movie is 23 years old, um, it's hard to find moments that we wouldn't see today. It feels uh, more modern. It feels more it modern feels, than like a modern movie. It feels more modern. I'm tempted to go with the political statements, but Black Panther did have some political statements. There's sort so, of a dynamic between uh, Killmonger and uh, Black Panther that's kind of similar to uh, Professor X and Magneto here. Yeah, um, and so I, I I did struggle with this one. I do think, I do suspect, uh, the way they write romances has changed since two thousand. I think since the Me Too movement, uh, there's definitely been a, a desire to be more sensitive about it. 
So what, what I did kind of like look at was I feel like the Wolverine Jean Grey stuff wouldn't be portrayed the same today. That's true. Yeah. I think that, I think that's, I think it'd be handled a lot <clears throat> more, uh, be less charged. I think, I think that is, kind of, I mean, it's, it's I'm, a, not, I'm not even sure. I think it's a good thing. Although I, I don't yeah. know. I, I'm not sure. I think they handle the Jean Grey. Well, <laughs> great in this movie. You just kind of like, they, they rushed that love triangle a bit. Yes. Uh, and like right from his, like the first scene together, Wolverine's like hitting on Jean and they, they could have, they could have developed that love triangle maybe a little better, but nonetheless, yeah, you're right. It wouldn't, I don't think it would have been as charged as it was in this movie. Yeah. I mean, it is underserved. Like this is like a scene at the end when like, it's kind of like Wolverine kind of makes like a, like a real pass. I don't remember what the exact line is, but it's almost like I, I got exactly what I'm looking for right now. And like, it doesn't really land. Cause like, I don't know, you don't really buy it. <laughs> you don't really buy yeah. the two of them together. So it's like, yeah, I think they would probably de-emphasize a lot of that stuff. I think that's a good point. <clears throat> but at the same time, I don't think the problem with the portrayal is necessarily what I'm talking about here. It's the fact they don't give enough time to develop. Uh, agreed. I'm with you. For me, it's those opening... It's not even opening credits. The opening title card where it's like, it's like zooming mm, through. Like a, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like a very 2000 thing. Like It made me think of like Fight Club, which I think opens the same way. You know, I'm sure there's others. But like, I don't even know if they even do. They don't even do title cards in superhero movies no, anymore. They not start. These days. Yeah, I think because like I think because of the internet. Sure. Like you know who the most people who care know who's going to be in the movie before they even start watching it. So like that that title card with all the names of people and graphics and stuff like that. Yeah, I agree. They, I, I think it's something the internet has just made unnecessary. So movies have cut. Yeah. No, I I didn't really think about that, but you're right. Um, although I still have that instinct to go like I'm waiting for like the title sequence so like it's been an hour when are they going to drop the title <laughs> it's like they're not yeah because even TV shows have largely cut title sequences yeah it's a shame too that's like one of the best parts about the medium yeah, uh, yeah. best line uh, for me again struggled a little bit it's not it's all functional story stuff the dialogue is not always crackling even like the good lines are kind of obvious like you know we're the future, Charles. Not them. That kind of stuff. It's all kind of it's just functional. I I have always liked the line. Uh, it's when a uh, Rogue and Wolverine are driving together, and um, she asks about the claws and goes, "When they come out, do they hurt?" And Wolverine responds, "Every time." It's it's it could be a, it could have been a faux badass line, but again, Jackman goes for more wounded history with it. He goes soft with it, and it's always stuck with me from the first time I saw this. Yeah, it allows you to empathize with this distant character. I agree. I, that's that's more a better line reading than I think a good line, but I think it still fits for mm-hmm. what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Um, that's what I got. What do you got? <clears throat> I got... Uh, well, Ryan, do you know what happens to a toad <laughs> when they get struck by lightning? Tell me. The same thing happens to everything else. So... <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna ju- I'm gonna jump really close. I'm gonna jump over the next category real quick, which is worst moment because that was my pick. I took the open I took the open layup. So we can kind of we can kind of merge the streams. Mm. What are your What are your thoughts on um, 
Okay. You know, Joss Whedon's assertion is that it's a great line, but Halle Berry said it wrong. <laughs> I don't know if I think it's a great line, but I do think Halle Berry said it wrong. I agree because, with like, you. Like, I think being someone who has seen, a, you know, obviously, we've talked in the past about how Joss Whedon's been accused of being kind of an awful person. He probably is. But just looking mm-hmm. at Joss Whedon as an artist and as a writer, we've seen a lot of his stuff. And how many times have we seen on Buffy the Vampire Slayer or Buffy or Xander or Willow or we like, try to like say a badass line to a vampire or villain they're <laughs> facing and they're like oh yeah well you know what what and then like they stumble over the words and they're like oh well, uh, uh this uh, i think that's clearly what this line is supposed to be it's supposed to be like you know what happens to a toad when it gets struck by lightning uh <laughs> same th- same thing that happens if, you know I'm, I'm not a actor but you know what no, I, mean? like, I know what you mean be, it's supposed to be like Storm trying to think of a badass line and not coming up with one. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> uh, but, but Halle Berry just reads it super confidently and, and like super, uh, you know, like full, like, you know, she's being badass and about to kill this dude. Um, I will say, I don't think the line should have been in the movie. No, it, that, it's, it's so totally That kind of like Joss Whedon, like style, like, witty not witty dialogue it doesn't fit what this it doesn't fit this movie's tone not at all they shouldn't have had him in as a script editor like well like, i don't know i think he just buffy the vampire play with a minor like hit by this point but i think whedon's ego was like you know what i'm gonna make this joss whedon when he tried to do this treatment right yes uh, <laughs> and so he changed the whole script and then you put this line in there and for some reason they decided to keep this one because it's kind of a funny line in that joss whedon context but this isn't a Joss Whedon movie. It's not the right tone. I picked this line ironically. Um, it no. is the most memorable line from the movie, though, I would argue. At this it's point. maybe the number one thing people think of. I mean, it's probably like <laughs> Hugh Jackman as Wolverine, and it's like this scene. Yeah. No. Um, but I do think there's a line reading that's more faithful to it. But I think that faithful line reading doesn't match the tone of the scene or the movie. So it's just kind of a misstep to have it in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, it's the movie trying to make it work. Like you can, you can only imagine like how Sarah Michelle Gellar might have read this in like a episode of Buffy. Like, mm-hmm. um, I think that would have been. I think that's clearly who it's meant for. Um, right. But and we haven't talked much about Halle Berry. I don't think she's very good in this, to be honest. <clears throat> Fair. But, yeah, but it's the movie trying. It's the it's it's the production team trying to make this line work. When I think you're right, you could have just cut it. Um, Maybe it's not, they couldn't think of anything better. Do we need, I mean, I guess, I, do we even need a line? I guess so. I guess they do need something there. Yeah, it's expected a little bit. It, it punctuates the scene. Uh, <laughs> but it's hard to come up with those one-liners. I'm not, I'm not saying I could have written something better. I, I certainly could. But, um, yeah, um, it's, it's my worst moment because it stands out like a sore thumb. It doesn't work. I don't think it's as clever as Joss Whedon tries to assert, but um, there, there is a version of this somewhere that this could have worked, but the way Storm is portrayed, it wouldn't have worked if they'd read it the way it was supposed to. And yeah, they should have just, it's an easy cut for me. Um, it's an open layup, but um, sometimes you got to take them. So that's your best, that's your ironic best line. That's my <laughs> unironic worst moment. What was your worst moment? I think we kind of jumped whose turn it was, but we can get ourselves back on track here. Uh, yeah, that's okay. That's okay. Uh, you know, it's, it is kind of hard. I think there's not really any, other than maybe that line, there's not really too many like bad scenes in this movie. I don't think. Um, 
So it, it's kind of hard to pick a worst, worst moment. There's one scene that kind of still got to me in the second rewatch where I wasn't sure I bought it. All right. And that's the scene, and it's, it's necessary for the plot, so I understand why it's here. But it's, that's the scene where, like, Rogue, you know, helps Wolverine, you know, Rogue got stabbed by Wolverine, touched him, and, like, used his healing powers to heal herself. And afterwards, she's feeling awkward and insecure, and Mystique comes up pretending to be her, her boyfriend. <laughs> and basically talks her into running away. Bro, what did you do? They say that you're stealing other mutants' powers. No, no, I, I, I borrowed his power. You never use your power against another mutant. And I didn't buy it. I didn't buy it. Um, and for a couple of reasons, like, I get that Wolverine, I mean, Rogue, was a runaway. So running, running is kind of in her in her um, character. And they needed, they needed Magneto's crew to be the impetus for her running because they needed to have that fight at the train station, right? Like Magneto had to have a reason to be at the train station and know that Rogue was there. Mm-hmm. I, but I didn't buy, uh, I didn't buy Mystique being able to pull that off. Because first of all, like, unless she was, like, undercover at the school for, like, a long time, like, how did she know? <laughs> right? I mean, how did she know well enough to, like, portray him? And maybe she was there undercover for a long time. I mean, she just seemed to have good knowledge of the working structure of the school and stuff like that. But if she was there the whole time, like, why didn't she kidnap Rogue sooner? Like, why did she have to trick her <laughs> on to go into a plane? And if, if she was undercover as Kelly's, like, Senator Kelly's aide... Wasn't she busy doing that and not being at the, you know what I mean? Like this, I understand like you, you have to suspend your disbelief a little bit, but. Yeah. No, Mystique. It was, it was, it was a leap too is, far for me. Uh, Mystique seems to be in several places at once in this movie. And to be honest, she's borderline overpowered. Like I was shocked that she's just able, I'm just going to be Professor X and go inside Cerebro and then like yeah. put poison in there and that, instead of just like destroy it. I don't know. Like, I feel like there's so much she could have done. I don't like, think she wanted to destroy it, right? She just wanted to incapacitate Charles for a little bit, right? Magneto and Xavier are still old friends. He's not trying to kill him, just delay him. But then I, um, I guess that's I guess that's true. The, the, the incapacitate, that makes sense. But like, we haven't talked about Rebecca Romaine much. She, she's fine in this. Mystique is semi-iconic. Um, she's mostly. iconic mostly because of her design. Yeah, that's it. She's 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 fine. Which is she's interesting because she's not naked in the comics. That is interesting. <laughs> so it's interesting that I went with that route with her here. Uh, <laughs> and we haven't reached the point yet when we get further down. She's played by Jennifer Lawrence, and like she clearly doesn't want to be in the blue makeup. So like they find all these excuses to like <laughs> get her out of it. Right. Which, I, don't, I don't know if we see Rebecca Romaine as a human much in these. We don't. We don't see. We all. see her in the second one. I do know we see her in the second one. There you go. But we don't actually see her as a human in the first one at all. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, which Rebecca I think Romaine, is the right, Rebecca, the right instinct. But Rebecca Romaine Stamos, I should mention, is what she was uh, credited as. I think. I didn't know she was married to John Stamos. That's funny. Oh yeah, Rebecca. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, best moment. Oh, I agree too. That that scene with uh, Sean Ashmore is a it, that it's awful. That's, that's an awful scene. Uh, yeah. You never you never use your power against another mutant. 
He's so angry. He wants you to leave. Like this guy who's been nothing but kind to you and like yeah. understanding and empathetic. Like it's, it's yeah. awful scene. Uh, uh, we did the sour. What about the sweet? Best moment. Yeah the the best moment I think is the train station scene. I- think that whole sequence with you know starting with Wolverine meeting up with Rogue and convincing her to come back and having a genuinely heartwarming not heartwarming but heartfelt conversation with each other and then you know the Sabretooth and Toad and Magneto coming and kind of kicking everyone's ass a little bit and the whole standoff you mentioned your favorite use of superpowers mm-hmm. uh, with the with the guns on the outside that whole sequence I think is the highlight of the movie. Yeah, I think in terms of action sequences, I think that is probably and tops. like it was it was a cul- culmination of everything that had come before it as well. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's that's the better sequence than even the one at the Statue of Liberty, which I'm not as low on as Leonard Maltin was, but I, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think uh, I, I think that train station sequence was the best moment of the movie, the best scene. Yeah, I agree. I went with like a quieter moment, but I mean, in terms of action sequences, it's pretty deftly written. Everything kind of dovetails really nicely um, in a lot of different ways. It's where my best line comes from. It's the scene where Wolverine is giving Rogue a lift. I think the scene does a lot of heavy lifting. because um, It does. It does do a lot of heavy lifting. I agree. If this scene doesn't work, I think a lot of the movie doesn't work because, you know, through this scene, you learn a lot about Wolverine. He's, you know, he's like this big, tough, he's this big, tough guy who's literally made of unbreakable metal, but he has like a soft side. Like, you know, he doesn't want to give her a ride, but he knows it's the right thing to do. He doesn't really want to like feed her or be but like, you know, he gives her food. He, he heats her hand up. And like, you know, when she kind of flinches from him, he's like, I'm not going to hurt you. Like he's very empathetic and like he listens. And I think Anna Paquin's pretty good in this scene. Um, it sets everything up. And I think if this scene laid an egg, I think this movie actually would be pretty broken. <laughs> That's a good point. I never yeah. thought about that. But you're right. Uh, that, that's the sequence with a Wolverine in the bar and then on the yeah, road. Yeah, that scene too is very good Rogue. too. You're right. Yeah. Uh, that sets up that whole relationship between Wolverine and Rogarine. That just basically the, the heart of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and exactly. you're right. It, it, in, in, in the same ways that we don't really buy that love triangle between Gene, Cyclops, and Wolverine, because we never had a scene like this. We don't have any scenes like that. This scene, you're right, it does the heavy lifting and makes us believe their connection. Even though they don't spend a lot of time together, it makes us believe their connection. Yeah, there's not a there's not a ton, but um they make good use of what little time there is. And I think that's the sign of like kind of a a death script. I mean, obviously like there's we we mentioned the flaws, but um I think this is is a nice little piece of technique, in my yeah, opinion. I agree. MVP. A lot to choose from here. A lot of iconic performances, and I think it's in a, in a long series. I think everyone will have a chance to pick up one of these somewhere down the line. I guess I'm going first. Mm-hmm. Um, I went Ian McKellen on this one. I think Magneto is just the most compelling character. I think Ian McKellen plays... Plays it both kind of devilish and also kind of, you know, he's also a lot, lot, lot of broken characters in this movie, but he's also very angry and bitter for very good reason. <laughs> um, 
And, you know, I think this could have been a very campy role, but he plays it with a lot of... He somehow grounds this mutant terrorist who can manipulate metal. He somehow makes it feel like a very real guy. And, you know, I think it's a lot of, a lot of great performances. And a lot, I, I've, always, I've always felt like this was Ian McKellen's, like, big moment. I <laughs> uh, was his first one. And uh, I think he's my MVP. I mean, he's obviously a good choice. He's great in this movie. And, he, yeah, you're, I mean, you're right. He, he could have played the character in a very different way that would have made the movie not as good. And he kind of holds it up on his end. Ultimately, only Hugh Jackman here. Maybe totally an obvious, maybe totally an obvious choice. Oh, yeah. Well, like, yeah, I mean... He's great. You know, I, think, I think you can make an argument for, you know, obviously, um, Ian McCullen... I think you make an argument for Patrick Stewart, even though he doesn't really have much of a character arc. He's such a solid presence in this movie, kind of holding it all together in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, I think I think this movie Wolverine's the main character. You know, it's an yeah. ensemble cast, so he's not like it's, I'm not gonna say the movie's all about Wolverine. It's not. It's an ensemble cast, but he's the heart of this movie, and Hugh Jackman is. It's so weird to give this this role to an unknown like him. Like he's obviously a very talented actor, uh, but this is his first big role in a movie, and he just knocks it out of the park, man. I mean, <laughs> so he's so good, good. Uh, and to, to the point where you know it becomes a problem because you know Fox can't quit him. But uh, <laughs> um, but he's so good in this movie. He's, he he makes it all work. He's he's, he's my MVP. If, if Wolverine isn't good in this movie. It doesn't matter how good Ian McCullen is, in my opinion. Like, That's fair. If Wolverine's bad in this movie, the movie sinks. Yeah, he's like in every scene, basically. <laughs> at, least know, the, I mean, at least on the hero's end. I'm here. He, he's in a lot of them, yeah. Uh, so, and it's and all like we Rogue is our audience surrogate at the very beginning, but he's our audience surrogate for most of the scenes in the school. Yes. Uh, and so, them, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so, I, I think, yeah. Wolverine yep. is my MVP here. Hugh Jackson's my MVP. No, it's 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 a good call, and um, yeah, he's probably the MVP of the entire series if we're being honest. But um, yeah, <laughs> you know, in a sports sense, like they they run the entire offense through him for the entire franchise, basically. Yep. Um, he's the Tom Brady of the uh, X Men universe. He just keeps coming out of retirement. <laughs> it's true. And has also divorced his uh, wife. So. <laughs> yeah, it's an apt comparison. Um, yeah, okay. All we got left to do is rate this thing, and then we're going to kind of uh, explain the rest of the year. Um, I will give this 8 out of 10 Cerebros. Eight out of ten three rows. Yeah. yeah, I'll give it seven and a half out of ten three rows. I'm not sure why I'm a half three row less than you. Probably because of the what's all right. The toad line. <laughs> the toad line. Maybe I think it's more the. I, it could have been a little bit longer, and they could have done a little bit more with Jean Grey and Cyclops. I think that would have bumped it up, in my opinion. But that's um, fair. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So that that concludes our run of the 90s superhero movies. Uh, our next, next time we pick this up will be our 2000s superhero movie. And boy, uh, what a decade it was um, for both good and for ill. Um, next week, 
uh, there won't be an episode. It'll be Christmas Day. You won't have missed it. But we will be taking the first week of January off, and then we will be doing our wrap-up show, I believe, January 8th, 2024. We'll be wrapping up the season that was, the back half of the 90s superhero movies, giving out, you know, best movie, best villain, worst villain. Oh, Everything. I mean, anything you can imagine. Too, too many, too many options to choose from there. But. Oh my god, this is going to be a really interesting one. I'm really stressing out about it because I have no <laughs> idea what I'm picking for most of these. Yeah. Uh, and then from there, we'll kind of walk us. I'll, we'll walk you through what we're going to be doing next. Um, I believe the uh, I hear a tortoise out in the distance. That's all I'm going to say about that. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you like what you heard, you can follow us on Instagram at Pop Culture Historians Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter slash X at PC Historians or on our website, popculturehistorianspodcast.wordpress.com. Uh, for the archives of our past superhero movie episodes, our Doctor Who episodes, and our Universal Monster movie episodes, we got range here. You can find our uh, archives on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, if that is more your bag. Life lesson. <laughs> if your toad don't go out in lightning. Oh, there you go. Yeah. This life lesson is what happens to a toad when it gets struck by lightning. The same thing happens to everyone else. <laughs> I mean, truer words have never been spoken. <laughs> it's literally true. <laughs> All right, everyone. Have a Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Uh, we'll pick back up uh, in January, and we're going to have a lot of fun in 2024. That's all I'm going to say. All right. Uh, that was Jimmy. My name is Ryan. See ya.